0: Welcome to the SB Live California podcast. I'm your host, Connor Morissette. Joined this week with our new director of recruiting at SB Live, Andrew Nemick. Andrew has been covering Oregon recruiting for a very long time up in the Pacific Northwest. Eventually, he's going to be doing the whole country for us, which we were talking off the air, Andrew. It's been a bit of an adjustment so far, but really excited to have you on board. And how excited are you to take these uh, recruiting beats from a couple states to eventually the whole country?
1: Yeah. I mean, really excited. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I've because I've covered the ducks and the beavers. That's, that's a lot of Washington and California and Oregon prospects. It touches on Texas. It touches on Florida a little bit, but to really expand that out and do the whole country is really exciting. And, and to learn and to get to learn and dive in specifically to California, which is just loaded from the Trinity league on, it's just absolutely loaded with talent and to get the opportunity to like, okay, go have fun in this sandbox, the California talent sandbox. I'm just excited to go play, man. It's going to be fun.
0: It is a blast covering stuff down here for sure. So really excited to have you on board. Let's start with some of the NIL stuff because it has totally changed recruiting and you've been doing this for a long time, but we're starting to see the money just plays a big role and that's kind of obvious, but covering that is a challenge. You're not going to come out because it's not a contract per se. You're not going to come out and say, this kid's going to this school because they got, gave him this amount of money. It's, it, it's tough to, to come out and say that. We're seeing a lot of recruiting reporters have, have that issue. Can you tell me a little bit about how complex it, it is to cover NIL because you don't want to burn the kid, you don't want to burn the school, but money is a big factor.
1: Yeah, it's so nuanced. And, and really to start, the thing that people need to understand is schools can't actually directly set up your nil deal now no one believes like there's rumors of an eight million dollar deal for a potentially a california quarterback going to tennessee uh, you know there's there's rumblings of that right but you can't just tennessee can't be like hey here's eight million bucks it's a business but if anybody believes some business in tennessee is like hey let's just give a california quarterback eight million dollars Tennessee, do you even want this kid? We don't, we don't know. We'll just give him 8 million. But I mean, there's obviously some stuff going on behind the scenes. And so that's the first layer that's complicated. The other thing that's really complicated with it is the fact that kids don't want their money out there. Potentially, if you get $8 million, there's rumors that Josh Connerly potentially got seven figures to go to Oregon. I'm not confirming that. I don't know that, but, that's something that, it, that that's certainly I've heard from a number of places that, and other reporters have said that that's kind of roughly maybe the number he got. He doesn't want that out there because he doesn't want on his side, potentially family hitting him up, asking for money. And I don't mean Connerly specifically, just any recruit. And then the, the next layer is for the school. If you are the school, if you're, the, the rumor is that Tennessee gave $8 million to a kid if that young man is trying to bring other talent with him and say, he wants to bring a five-star wide receiver with him, that receiver could be like, you got eight. We know that. And if it's out there, I'm saying, if it wants, it's public, you got eight. I'm worth at least one then, because I know you're a quarterback, but I'm worth at least one. Suddenly these schools start pricing themselves out of their own fellow elite recruits. So is, is then the onus on the kid to start dishing out his money? Like, Hey, I want an offensive tackle. I got this much money I'll give you, you know, then it gets really messy. So there's a lot of reasons that we're not seeing, even though it's above board. I think everybody thought, Oh, now when a kid commits, it'll just, we'll know the price tag. We'll know the number and we don't. And the reason is the school's protecting it so that they don't set the bar for a kid. Even look at, you know, if the Josh Connerly rumors are true and he got seven figures potentially to go to Oregon, does that mean that every high level four-star five-star kid that goes to Oregon can ask for at least a hundred thousand since he got a million can I at least get half a million I'm a five-star you know I'm a five-star linebacker I'm a five-star corner you start pricing yourself out of the rest of your recruiting class so you can deny 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 and keep recruiting and and not giving a ton of money one of the ways the schools are handling it too and you we've seen this we have seen schools release kind of a baseline like every kid in our program through a deal with Saltines, Nike, Under Armour, whatever the case may be, you know, Z bar, you know, power bars, whatever the case may be. Uh, every kid that comes to our school gets at least 25,000 bucks. Every kid that comes to our school gets at least 40,000 bucks. Every kid that comes to our school through this deal gets 5,000 bucks. We have seen that, we know that. Oregon has sold off some, some shoes connected to some cryptocurrency and all the money went to the pros- or the players on the team. So we know those players got five figures each. In a deal. So schools are finding ways to say, hey, if you come here, there's at least a baseline. But in terms of those big ticket numbers, those big ticket items in the recruiting trail, they're trying to keep it covered for a number of reasons.
0: When will that change? Because we all know what's happening. When will you be able to say, this kid's going here because the money was a big factor. I feel like it's unsustainable just to keep dancing around it. We're still in the first year. You see this changing at all anytime in the next three to five years, maybe even next year. I feel like this can't keep going on like this.
1: Well, I, I can tell you it won't be the recruiting community. And, and part of that has to do with the fact that the recruiting community doesn't want to alienate kids. They don't want to alienate coaches. They don't want to alienate their sources. And so you, you don't want to say, OK, it was this amount of money to this school because the school's like, wait a minute. Now every kid that comes to us, like you reported it. So every kid that comes to us is saying, you know, Andrew Nimick said it was a $2.2 million. I'm making up a number $2.2 million for Mike Jones out of Missouri to go to North Carolina, wherever. And so it's like, well, if it's fact, if we know it's 2.2, I want 1.5, I want 1.7 at least. So recruiting people won't do it. What it's going to take is public records requests from probably newspapers or online sites that cover news and and really try to delve into it from an investigative side. If that doesn't happen, I mean, it, it like kids have been getting paid the whole time I've been covering recruiting and they got paid before I got recruiting and it didn't get talked about. So this idea that it's inevitable that people will eventually learn the numbers publicly, I don't necessarily think is true unless someone wants to, you've already got the NCAA saying we're not going to police it. NOI is outside our jurisdiction, essentially. Um, So I'm not entirely sure that it will be inevitable unless, again, uh, a pocket of journalists or a journalist says, you know, the New York Times or USA Today or one of the big overarching papers, like let's do a deep dive multi-year piece public records requests and find out how much everybody got paid in the class of 2023.
0: So then what did you make of the athletic releasing not the name, but the $8 million figure about a recruit. And, you know, we probably know who it is that probably like, is Tennessee upset about that? Is the player upset about that? Is that kind of a a sticky situation from your understanding? Because let's be honest, not everyone's worth that much money. It's kind of a finite list of people who could make that. And then once you kind of put it all together, it, it's a little bit obvious. Um, Did that ruffle
1: feathers? Yeah, I, I mean, I imagine it did. I haven't talked to that recruit and his father about it specifically. And, and I haven't talked to Tennessee, but there's a reason Tennessee didn't come out and say, we're the $8 million school. And there's a reason the recruit didn't say I'm the $8 million quarterback. Uh, nobody wants that out there on that side. And again, I mean, I, I, I have a radio show in Portland. I talked about it. Did Tennessee, because it became so obvious that it was Tennessee, did they price themselves out of the market for other top recruits. If I'm a, if I'm a five-star offensive tackle, if I'm a five-star wide receiver and I'm being recruited to Tennessee and I know potentially that $8 million on the table for a quarterback, I, okay, I want a little money. And it's like, well, we don't have it. Well, right. Because you gave your whole pool to one guy. So why would I go here if I can get half a million from make it up school, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio state, USC, whoever the case may be. Um, So yeah I think I think probably it did ruffle feathers I think probably Tennessee's not real happy I think probably the prospect's not real happy and his family's probably not real happy
0: two other NIL things you know how sometimes in professional sports a contract seems massive at the time and then a few years go on and oh that's just kind of the going rate do you think that for a big time quarterback eight million it sounds crazy right now in 2022 do you think in the future million that might just kind of That's what it takes. And if that's as small as your pool is, you're probably not going to get them. I think we'll maybe see these pools be like a $20 million for a class situation in the future. And eight goes to the quarterback. Do you think we could see something like that where 8 million sounds crazy now, but it might not be in the next few years.
1: I think we already saw potentially a, a eight figure recruiting class put together. (laughs) Texas A&M had the highest rated recruiting class in the history of recruiting. There are rumblings, that that was 20 million plus to put the, that class together. I have not heard anything specifically. I truly haven't uh, when it comes to that, but I don't know if a single player got 8 million. I don't know how they splice that up. I don't know if it's even true. But yeah, I mean I think we're going to see a variance. I think we're going to see a deal. And it might be that the $8 million figure is the high mark, is the water, you know, is the watermark for a long time. And we go, okay, that broke the market. And actually we mean to find a middle ground here. We thought, you know, right now on three sports is doing their player valuations. And I think they had uh, Nico is the player who's rumored to be that we don't know, but that's the rumor. They, they valued him as a $300,000 player. So on three missed the mark, potentially by $7.7 million. I mean, we don't know yet. We don't know exactly where this is going to go. I, I think Josh Connerly was valued at around $100,000. The rumor is that he got over a million. So even the experts are wrong, and, and it seems like they're wrong by a lot. But I bet I would guess that at some point there's, there's a market correction where we're gonna, somebody's going to do a deal that's way too high. And then we'll see it. They, are, they will. It'll happen. Because that's how it works. Like, this kid's a game changer. We think he's the number one player in America. Let's give him $25 million, Or maybe that number's eight. Maybe we reached it. And he'll get there and he'll not be successful. And schools will go, okay, wait a minute. Let's come back down to earth a little bit. Let's not invest all our money in one guy. And let's put a class together at this much and balance ourselves out. I think we're going to see the market kind of dictate. It's a free market. We've never had a free open market for recruits. We've had a free hidden black market for recruits, but never an open market that was legal. So it's interesting to find out exactly where that middle ground is going to come from. And obviously based on on threes valuations that have, that are off by, you know, they're at like 5% of the actual number, 10% of the actual number that's being rumored. Um, obviously even the experts are way off right now.
0: They base that a lot on followers, right? So I
1: could see on social. Right, media. but clearly it's time to throw that formula yeah. away and and yeah. hit the reset button. It's like, well, it doesn't it doesn't go based on followers, and if it does, uh, each follower is worth a whole lot more than we thought. You know, I mean, they've got to tweak that formula for sure. Yeah,
0: the the only recruit, and I'm crossing sports, like Bronny James and all of his followers, that would make sense because he has so many. But I. I don't really feel like it makes sense to do it like that for a lot of other guys. Okay, last right. thing arch,
1: on, arch Manning, how much is he worth? I mean, yeah. oh, oh boy. He he just got social media, right? Yeah, it it does. His last name's Manning. He'll, <laughs> he'll have more followers than I could ever dream of within 12 hours of his account, you know.
0: Exactly, especially when he gets to wherever he's going to go and starts playing well. That's for sure. Uh the, the last thing on this Andrew are there any changes that you would want to see made with, with NIL? That's such a broad question. Are there any obvious ones that might change? Take that any direction you want to go with it. You've been in this space now since it's legal the whole time. Anything uh, you think will change? Anything you want to see changed?
1: Yeah, I, I desperately want to see signing day changed. What happened last year was, was chaotic, and it was unfortunate to see so many coaches leave Right around that December signing period. And, and it's not their fault. It's a business. So of course, colleges like, hey, we want you here. Leave your team in the middle of the year. Leave them. Abandon them for their bowl game. I don't care if they're in the final four. Leave them. Because we need you to come here to put our class together. So leave in early December. You know, tell that other program deuces. We, we need you. So that needs to stop. Because it's not it's not fair to the kids who are committed and then a week before they commit their head coach leaves and they're left scrambling while all these kids are signing everywhere else. Suddenly they don't have a landing spot. It's not fair to the guys who are already on those football programs who have invested, who are committed to a coach. Yes, it's a business, but at the same time, midseason departures right at the end of the postseason when when that's supposed to be the celebration, that game is what you've earned through your hard work through a 12 game regular season to have that now be a circus where I think there were bowl games where neither head coach was there. Like the team that, you know, the teams, the coaches that had been there for those teams throughout the whole season left. So they had interim coach against interim coach. It's like, Oh my, what, what is this? I mean, this is goofy. So what I would do is make an NIL eligible only signing day starting like August 1st. And if you've signed an NIL deal that, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, links you to a school, only if you signed an NIL deal, you can sign with a program August 1st. So several months before it's before the season starts. And you could say, well, yeah, but a lot can happen, right? But you already made a big boy decision signing a contract to be an NIL guy to get money to go potentially to that school. So you're already locked in. And people can say, well, actually, you're signing a, you know, an agreement with um, you know, a marketing group that that is not c- completely connected to the school. It's like, okay, come on. And you don't have to do it. It just makes you eligible. There are clearly kids who have signed NIL deals that know where they're going. They can sign in August. And since you, again, got money, you run the risk of your coach being gone. You run the risk of your program not being very good. But again, you already got a bunch of money. So you you chose the business side. Then get rid of the December signing period and have that traditional... February signing period. So now you've gotten through your season. You've gotten through those December bowl games, you've gotten through into January that college football playoff and that's when then the coaching carousel can turn. And it's done potentially you hope, fingers crossed, by late January and you have some time before signing day that gives you all of January to take visits. You don't have 4 days after a school, you know, a coach leaves to decide, do I want to follow him to his school that I've never visited? Or do I want to stick with my commitment where I don't know the coaching staff? It erases that issue. And, and I think that takes care of the current college football climate. I think it helps take care and bring some clarity to the NIL. You could also connect it where if you sign in August, you have to disclose your NIL agreements. So then it becomes optional. But if you sign, you have to disclose your NIL agreements. That then makes it a front-facing situation, a front-facing business that people can see and say, okay, we understand what this is. That, does that make sense? Because right now it is, it, it's all hidden. We don't know what's going on, but if you have to sign in August because you took the money and that's okay, that's your choice. I don't, I don't knock anyone for taking the money. You have to d- say what you got. And in that way, then the market starts to define itself because right now it's still the legal wild, wild west.
0: For sure. And I like, excuse me, I like what you had to say too about Pushing the signing day back because when all the coaches leave, that creates a really awful situation. So I wonder if that is something that we'll see. But yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. Interesting. I'll be following along just to, to see what does change because this is really really crazy. But let's get into some just regular recruiting stuff now, Andrew. So who are some of your favorite West Coast players in the class of 2023, and why? It can even be you know the highly rated kids to maybe someone you think's underrated. Twenty twenty three, who do you like from out here? Uh
1: I mean, we can go by state, I guess, to some extent. And in, in Washington, I you know, Jaden Wayne is kind of continuing that tradition. Washington is not a power state when we think of California, Texas, Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Alabama. Those are power states, right? You know there's a good chance five star kids are coming out of there, and you know there's a lot of depth coming out of there. Washington's been on the rise for a number of years and you know, Sam Hewer, JT Tuomalau, G. Scott Jr., uh, Emeka Egbuka, and there's lots more. I mean, they've produced a ton of talent. The next wave is going to be Jaden Wayne, this five-star defensive lineman out of Lincoln High School in Tacoma, really phenomenal player. Caleb Presley really impresses me. He's an All-American corner. He's outside the top 100 prospects, and talk about kids that are underrated. I know he's a four-star prospect, I really do think he could be a top 50 kid nationally. I really, really like him a lot Uh, in, in Oregon. It's a really down year, unfortunately. And, and that's something that, you know, it comes and goes in some States and in others, you, you kind of know, like we're going to have 45 D one guys in Oregon. It fluctuates. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's 15. Uh, And, and right now Oregon's going through a down cycle, but Riley Williams, Number two tight end in, in the country on on three sports. Number four tight end in, in the country in twenty four seven. People told me about him, and I get that all the time in Oregon because you know I was covering it for the Oregonian there, and uh, people be like, "Go check this kid out." Go check. Him. Okay, so you go watch, and it's like, dude, he's nothing. Somebody said, "Go watch Riley Williams." Then I got another one. Go, go see Riley Williams, Central Catholic. He's really good. I'm like, okay, we'll see. He says he's a basketball kid. We'll see. He was. He stopped playing football for two years because he said he was a basketball kid. So he goes out and I'm through the first quarter and I, I text somebody he's even better than you could have ever possibly told me. He's very special. Got a chance to be a five-star prospect, six foot seven, 230 pounds. His brother's at Oregon. He's got a couple of uncles that played at Oregon. One's in the hall of fame at Oregon. They're going to have a little bit of an inside track early, but he's got offers from all over. He just picked up an offer from Alabama. Uh, I really like him. He's a great kid. Uh, The rest of Oregon is a major question mark. And when we talk about that state, that's pretty typical. You'll have a list of guys who are pretty good. Maybe it's two, maybe it's five that you know. These kids are blue chip caliber guys. You know, Talanoa Hafunga came out. Chase Coda was at UCLA. He came out and was a four-star guy. Elijah Molden came out of of Oregon out of Westland High School. He was a four-star guy. And then you have like 15 kids who are major question marks. They could end up in the big sky, you know, FCS level. They could pop and be power five. So Oregon's a big time question mark, probably a couple kids will pop, but it's, it's just too early to say, uh, California. I'm just trying to sink my teeth into the idea of like, who do you like in California? It's like, well, can I just say like the entire modern day program? I mean, it's it really is an adjustment for me. I really like the, Cal- the California quarterback class. I mean, when we talk about positions, you look at quarterback in California with Malachi Nelson out of Los Alamitos. You look at uh, Nick, I'm going to butcher his name, the Long Beach Poly quarterback who's committed to Tennessee. Nico, phenomenal, phenomenal player. Jaden Rashada out of Pittsburgh had a chance to see him throw. He's phenomenal. Those are three quarterbacks who are in the top five nationally three of the top five quarterbacks nationally coming from california so that's really exciting we look at that domino effect that happens with quarterbacks a guy comes off the board and he goes to alabama and then suddenly georgia and lsu and usc and oregon and all the top programs michigan ohio state they all need to adjust their board so much of that conversation so much of that domino effect began with malachi nelson to usc and Nico to Tennessee and Jaden Rashad is sitting there and and he's still got Oregon and Ole Miss and uh, Miami's after him and he's going to be a major major player in what happens nationally in the quarterback market so even though he's the number five quarterback he might be him and Arch Manning might be the jumping off point because Jaden Rashad is the last great quarterback west of the Mississippi so I think he's, the, I, I think there's a guy in Michigan too, actually. I take, so I, I got to look at my geography and see exactly <laughs> where the Mississippi hit. So the, certainly in the West region, completely, you know, in that West region, Jaden Rashad is it for West coast folks. So it, he's going to be a major player. And obviously Arch Manning's the number one player in the country out of Louisiana. So those guys really interest me. Uh, Mateo Uyunglele, is a fascinating player, the younger brother of DJ, who's the quarterback at Clemson, five-star defensive lineman. Um, it's going to be interesting, his recruitment. You know, he's, I believe he's visiting Alabama here coming up. Um, he's visited Oregon a number of times. Obviously, USC is always going to be involved with a California kid. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with his recruitment. Uh, going down the list. See, this is the thing. I have to like yeah. look at a list of guys <laughs> to be like, hey, there's I so many. Them. There's so many. Um, I think Pierce Clarkson's commitment to Louisville is really fascinating. When we talk about, you know, needle movers, this is a kid that basically chose like, I'm going to carve my own path at a program that isn't a traditional recruiting power. And I'm going to see how much pull I have. Am I, am I, you know, I call them Pied Piper recruits, guys that go to a school and because they went there, there's, there's, gravitational pull when they, when they go to a school that they bring talent with them. He's, he's betting and he maybe rightly so that he's a Pied Piper recruit, that he's got magnetism that when he goes to Louisville, he's going to draw talent from the West coast. And I'm really fascinated. I admire it uh, tremendously. I think too often we see really, really talented players go to programs where they're not going to be the dude. They're going to be, you know, Clemson just picked up another quarterback commit. Well, they've got DJU and they've got the number one recruit in the country from last year uh, competing for that starting job. So that's a guy that's going to sit potentially for two or three years. Why not go to a Louisville? Why not go to a, go to an Oregon state? Why not go to an Indiana and and carve your own path and see how much pull you have? I, I just think that is really, really fascinating.
0: You mentioned a lot of great stuff there. I think what's really interesting about Malachi going to USC is I'm close with Nico and his family and I talked to them and they wanted to go to USC as any LA kid would. But when Lincoln Riley got the job, he of course was going to take Malachi. And so Nico now has a chip on his shoulder and I'm excited as the years go on and we see head to head how both of those guys do in college, how much that chip will have an impact on, 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 what Nico's able to
1: do. So I, I, and that's, and, and that's that domino effect, right? Yeah. Like one guy goes somewhere and then it's a mad scramble to figure out where everybody else is going to go. They have to find the next spot and and schools find the next man up. So it's always fast quarterback, quarterback recruitment, man, we could do a podcast talking quarterback recruitment for three hours, especially in California. I mean, we could talk California quarterbacks, especially this year for a long time. There's some really good ones.
0: Certainly. How about in 2024, and you don't have to mention a, a million guys if you don't want to, because I know that there's just so many on the West coast. Who do you like in that class? And I'll get into a few more specific recruiting questions,
1: man. Um, you're testing me here. Julian saying, obviously is a big time, big time quarterback. I, I like him. Peyton Woodyard I've had a chance to talk to, and I was really blown away by him. I mean, truly yeah. from, an, from an interview standpoint, uh, about as polished a kid as I've ever spoken to, he he knew what he wanted to say he was interesting he was appropriately funny he wasn't like cracking inappropriate jokes or anything but he was comfortable enough to make jokes about about certain things we talked about the safety position and different safeties in the nfl and and who he potentially patterns himself after we talked about be what what it means to be kyle hamilton's cousin and like what what that means from a legacy standpoint and obviously notre dame's like hey you know, come, come be the next, that guy. Uh, But also so often when guys are highly recruited, he's a five-star safety in the class of 2024. So often when guys are heavily recruited, they start to give you stock answers. They start to give you answers that are practiced. They're rehearsed. And I thought he was very authentic and very honest. And that's so refreshing because this is big business now. And elite recruits start getting hit up when they're in the eighth grade. And they probably do 10- to 60 interviews a week, depending on how good they are and what time of the year it is. So to still do that and give me the time, he doesn't know me yet. You know, he has no idea who I am. To give me the kind of time he did and be genuine is, is really refreshing. And, and I, I expand upon that because I think it matters for everybody. It's not just that he did a wonderful thing and, and is an interesting kid. I, I hope as recruiting evolves, even though these kids are young, They understand you don't have to give the stock answer and just say like Alabama was great. I loved it. They're a winning program. USC is awesome. They have tradition. They're the home school. A lot of people like you can really talk about how you feel. You can say, man, I sat down in Nick Saban's office and it's Nick Saban. Like, that's crazy. You know, like you're allowed to be your authentic self. And and I thought that was, that was really encouraging. I'm fascinated by this modern day O-line. Like just from a, from an old line standpoint, yeah, there's all these sophomores, but people are saying the freshmen are really good too. So we could be looking at an era at modern day and they're great all the time. There's the era is just like forever, you know, it's, they're the Yankees of, of high school football nationally, almost uh, certainly last year, they're going to be so good on that old line, not just this year not just next year, but the year after that. And I'm excited to see the, the evolution of the modern day O line because yes, they've got great sophomores. They've also got some great freshmen. And when you've got that many good, and I mean, I, I don't mean like, Oh, he could be a college guy. I mean, like he could be an all American. When you've got that many all American potential guys when they're 15, like what does that become? And I, and I think that's, that's really, really exciting.
0: Yeah, for sure. DeAndre Carter, we talked about the modern-day Duncanville game at the – or before the show, I should say. And he – everyone knew that this kid had great potential, but he comes in and really just dominated some really good senior Duncanville defensive linemen as a sophomore and really his coming-out party game as a sophomore. That was really, really cool to see. That I, I think the sky's the limit for that kid – Amazing, amazing performance, and he's just so consistent. He just doesn't get beat. It's amazing. Yeah,
1: Duncanville was loaded up front. I mean, I think their like third best D lineman was Quincy Wright, and he went to Oregon State, and he's like, okay, we've got a true college Pac twelve nose tackle. You know, and it's like for a sophomore to go up against a guy that's you know pushing three hundred pounds and and move him around you know, is, is really impressive. Uh, certainly that, that modern day old line if, if you could pick any unit, I, I, I think that's fascinating. I love this kind of stuff. Like if you could pick any unit, like wide receiver groups, from any high school or an O-line from any high school or linebackers from any high school just to watch and you just get to enjoy them and follow them. Uh, modern day might be the number one O-line in America for the next two years that just like, man, let's just put on the tape and have fun and learn because we're gonna see some fascinating stuff and a whole lot of pancakes like IHOP, Sherry's. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what they have in California. That's Elmer's is here. I don't know what the, the hot breakfast place is in california but whatever it is uh just pancakes galore uh coming out of that group
0: (laughs) from an intrigue perspective which recruitments are you most excited to cover in 2023 is it mateo uyangalele because it's not going to be clemson it looks like but a bunch of schools are in the mix is it jaden rashada as the quarterback who could make some dominoes fall those are two names that come to mind for me Who, who are some big time 2023 kids that there's a lot of intrigue left with their recruitments
1: yeah, I mean, anytime you're talking intrigue with recruiting, you're talking about the big-time kids, right? Like if we're talking about three-star kids, it's like, eh, I'm not that excited about whether he's going to Cal, Washington State, or Oregon State. And there's nothing wrong with those programs. They just, they're just they great programs, but it doesn't move the needle. We're not blown away. So Jaden Wayne is, is fascinating because we have so many different layers to it. Jaden Wayne's a kid from the state of Washington. Washington Hus- the Washington Huskies have a new coach. It's really important for them to start keeping that in-state talent in the state because they they haven't done it. Now they've gotten you know Sam Adams was a good get, and they got Savelle Smalls. They've they've gotten some, Sam Heward five-star quarterback. They've gotten a handful of guys certainly, but they haven't put the hammer down. You know J.T. allow Ohio State, Ameka Buka, number one receiver in the country, Ohio State. G. Scott Jr. I think he's transitioned to tight end now at Ohio State, but was a receiver and a big-time receiver, Ohio State. Josh Connerly, Oregon. Dave Ayuli, four-star, uh, two-way lineman, he'll probably play uh, O-line at Oregon. He's, he's headed to Oregon. So they have not built that fence. In fact, they basically like, go on, have fun. You know, <laughs> go see the world. Like They have not done a good job of building that fence. So he's going to be a massive, massive priority for them. Same with Caleb Presley, the, the All-American corner. They have to get those guys. Then you've also got Oregon who is trying to battle and fight off Lincoln Riley. Now, Lincoln Riley's going to maybe build, an, forget a fence, he's going to build an iron curtain around California. No one else can get in this place. So does Oregon fight through that and they're able to get some guys in California? We'll talk about that when I talk about some of the guys in California, I think are interesting. Or does Oregon say, okay, we'll pick and choose our spots in California, but Washington's a little weak right now in terms of in-state recruiting. Let's dominate the Northwest. Is Josh Connerly's commitment a precursor For what we're going to see the rest of the way, where Oregon goes, okay, we'll dominate Washington. We'll dominate Oregon. We'll pick our spots in California. We'll get some guys in Texas. We'll get some guys around the country. We'll battle you that way. So I think Jaden Wayne's, and obviously there's you know Miami, Mario Cristobal's pull. Does he still have pull to the West Coast? or from the West Coast from his time at Oregon? Sure looks like he does right now. Sure looks like he still has that pull, given that he's pulling a bunch of Oregon transfers to my uh, to Miami. So if Jaden Wayne stays in Washington, they'll put that feather in their cap and say, we're fixing it. If Oregon gets Jaden Wayne, they'll say, we're beating back Mario and we own the Northwest. That's a big feather in their cap. If Lincoln Riley at USC is able to somehow get Jaden Wayne, they'll say, we dominate the whole West Coast. So there's so many, obviously Alabama, and then he could also just go to like Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State. And those would be big from a Pac-12 conference standpoint in the sense that the Pac-12 hasn't done a great job of keeping their top talent in the state. Everybody knows about Bryce Young and DJU. Like, uh, what could have been if they'd have kept those guys? Keely Ringo gets a big interception in the national championship game to seal it. He's an Arizona kid who grew up in the Seattle area. So we all know the problem. And Jaden Wayne, for a lot of different reasons, is going to be one of those guys who people go, see, we fixed it. And I think that's really fascinating. In Oregon... It's Riley Williams. Riley Williams is, you could argue, Riley Williams is the only true blue chip prospect in the entire class of 2023. In fact, I think it would shock me if someone else ended up earning top 100 status. It's a really down year in the state. Riley Williams is fascinating because he's so good. He's just so good and he's he's from Oregon and Dan Lanning's made that a priority. So they're going to really recruit the heck out of him, but also Mario was his older brother's coach. Corbin Williams was at Oregon under Mario Cristobal. So does he want to potentially go carve his own path and go to Miami? Uh, That one is fascinating. Obviously, Riley Williams has a bunch of schools involved, Michigan State, I think USC's involved. Oh no, USC got eliminated, which was surprising actually, uh, because he liked USC early, but I think they're going to go after some higher rated tight ends. They have a shot at the number one, number two tight end in the country. So that's another domino issue, but Riley Williams fascinating to me. In California's Jaden Rashada. In terms of needle movers, every school you know from the Midwest over, he's the best quarterback the rest of the way. So if Arch Manning goes to Alabama, if Arch Manning goes to Virginia, if Arch Manning goes wherever Arch Manning goes, you know, Georgia, does Texas get involved? You know, does does every Pac-12 school say we have to have Jaden Rashada cuz otherwise we got to go get somebody far away that'll be fascinating. And, and I think he is a massive domino. He's also a very good quarterback, which helps, but, uh, that one, that one absolutely fascinates me. Uh, Mateo is interesting because you're always going to get the dynamic of like, what's dad going to say to like, you know, Clemson's Clemson's not hit me up, you know, and you're like, Oh, interesting. You know, like we're going to get layers to that. And we're going to see a little bit more behind the curtain potentially with that one than we do with most recruitments because, you know, uh, Big Dave is a little bit more open with what's going on in the process. So I think that's fascinating. And also anytime a California kid could potentially end up, you know, at either USC or Oregon or Alabama or Ohio state or Clemson. That's, that's fascinating because it's, it's a big time recruit. Um, Going down my list. Roderick Pleasant's a big time one. I'm interested in Walker Lyons. This is a really, really good tight end group, a historic tight end group in the West region. I obviously mentioned Riley Williams already Uh, Deuce Robinson's the number one tight end in the country. He's from Arizona. Walker Lyons is arguably the number two tight end in the country. He just visited USC. He's a great one. There's a bunch of really good tight ends and traditionally tight ends aren't a position where there's any type of domino effect because there aren't a ton of them. If, if there's a great tight end in your area, everybody wants them. But there's so many good ones in the West region right now that schools are going to pick and choose their spots. We've got the best shot, you know, if you're Oregon, we've got the best shot with Riley Williams. So let's go after that. If you're USC, you're like, well, Riley Williams is great, but maybe we like Robinson or Lions a little more. So let's put all our eggs in that basket. It's going to be fascinating to see how the tight end, it's almost like a tight end carousel. We talk about coaching carousels. It'll be interesting to see how the tight end carousel Uh, plays out so those are the recruitments that fascinate me is that a short enough answer
0: that is perfect and I think we can uh, get you out of here with that because Andrew you've done such a great job Uh, this podcast has been awesome I'm really excited I have a few other questions but let's save them for another episode down the line does that sound good perfect yeah thank you so much that's Andrew Nemec SB Lives Director of recruiting. Really excited to work with you and see the work that you'll produce, especially as we get closer to football season in the fall. I know now, though, it's big recruiting time, so you're really diving in head first. So thanks so much for all the great work that you're doing. It's great to have you on the team, man.
1: Of course. Thank you. Appreciate it.